We're a small private school right outside of New York City. I'm trying my hardest to get some Massachusetts kids. And I think the conference with Quinnipiac and Fairfield, we play close to home and parents want to watch their kids. So I want to be able to recruit kids that I'm familiar with. That was Connecticut FC ECNL director and Iona women's soccer head coach Todd Plord. And he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Connecticut FC ECNL director and co-owner and Iona women's soccer head coach, Todd Plord. Todd, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem. I know you're a busy guy, so we've got a, a, a bit to get to here with obviously your your different roles in the soccer world. But first and foremost, I want to talk about the Jefferson Cup, which just happened this past weekend down Richmond, Virginia. And I know your club was was involved at, at the event. It's a a major national showcase every year that attracts top talent from across the country at, at this girls' showcase. Just how, how did things go, and what did you guys get out of that experience? Things were great. It's a it's a great prep for us for the for the ECNL conference games. It's a it's a great opportunity to play all your kids, give them even playing time, and and a definitely in a good showcase environment. The college coaches down there were. were it was a good showing of college coaches, and I think it worked well. We brought our regional teams at the older age and the younger age groups. We brought our ECNL teams, so it's a great event. the The weather this weekend was awesome. Last weekend was a little bit cold for the younger kids, but you know it's great to get outside, play good competition, and and really get to showcase your players rather than being in the the Northeast ECNL group where the competition is is pretty tight and you're maybe not using all your bench. So these showcases are really great opportunities to play everybody. What about the environment down there? I know I, I, I read there was upwards of 300 college coaches there. And you mentioned there's a chance for all these, all these kids to get some playing time and get on the field. How important of a, of a recruiting opportunity was this for the kids and just the ability to be seen by, by that many coaches? I, I think it's, it's, a, it's good timing. The the other showcases around the Christmas New Year time is a couple months ago. Now we've trained for a little bit. We, we've had a couple scrimmages. We've had a couple league games. Have this opportunity to go down and and play against different teams that we not normally play. And, and that's the thing is we're playing home and home with with stars with Susa with world class East Meadow FSA Scorpions and and their battles. Every single game is 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 very intense. Here you're going down and you're literally showcasing your kids against other teams that you not normally play and, and teams from, from different parts of the country. So on the college side, it was great. 20 minutes into each game, make all your subs and, and, and everybody knows they're going in. So it's not, we tell all the parents at all of our showcases that it's truly a showcase. We understand the expense of of traveling. Jefferson Cup's a good one because it's not a flight. So families that want to drive down, it's 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 a six hour drive from Connecticut. Um, but they're able to, to do that. Hotels are hotels no matter where you go. And then if you're able to drive, then you don't need a rental car. So we understand the expense of these events, but these are the best opportunities to have the the teams from South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia that some of these kids are looking at 
have an opportunity to play in front of those coaches who won't necessarily come up to Connecticut or Massachusetts or New York to watch league games, which is understandable. So you guys made the drive down there. What's what's the cutoff when it comes to travel? When you guys decide, okay, that's a little bit too long of a drive. We got we got to take a flight. Is there is there like an hour range? Jefferson Cup. Yeah, I think Jefferson Cup. <laughs> that's is, the last is cutoff. The, the farthest when you go down to Greensboro and Raleigh, North Carolina, it's a little bit too far right. of a drive. But I think Jefferson Cup, North Virginia, when they used to be in our region of the ECNL, that was about. As far some people still do the 45, it's a quick 45 minute flight, but sometimes it's not convenient with the times of your game. Sure. If your team makes a final, that's where it gets tricky. But I think Richmond, Richmond from the middle of Connecticut is probably a seven hour with no traffic. But then coming back, you always seem to hit traffic <laughs> in Northern Virginia, D.C. Right, going through Philadelphia and all that stuff. It, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You you touched on this, how how important this showcase is kind of leading into the spring season for the club and, and all the rest of the clubs around the country. How, how are you guys looking for the spring season? I know things are about to ramp up. We, we kind of come off that that kind of quiet January, February time. I mean, yeah, there's some right. showcases in there, but you guys will be getting back on the field in New England. How are you feeling about how the spring season is looking for the club? We we had such a mild winter that we've been outside often. Yeah. So we haven't had to be indoor every single from from December through March. So we've been outside. We've trained outside. We've had some scrimmages. So I think we're we're ready to go. And and you you get sick of kicking your teammates. It's nice <laughs> right. to play against a different team. And I think that's what. That's what most of the girls have been most eager. This weekend, we have a couple games with with Stars White, but then we jump in and then there's an Easter there's an Easter break. And, and this weekend, there's an ECNL event that some of the clubs in our region are out in Arizona. That's right, yeah. So that's why we were able to pick up and, and play Stars White because this is an off weekend. And then next weekend is an off weekend because of Easter. But the Scorpions run an event up in, up in Massachusetts that a couple of our teams might be going to. Then... I think the weekend after that, we play Sousa and East Meadow. So you get right into the thick of things. And then once once April 15th, it's going all the way through the PDA event Memorial Day. You mentioned that Arizona showcase, which is in timing, obviously, right? Coming up this this weekend. How do clubs make the decision or how do you make the decision when there's like a, a showcase like that? Do you guys think about going to something like that? Or would you, are you more focused on conference play and staying local at this point? How, how do you decide on those kind of in-season Type showcases. The, the tricky part with the Arizona is the flight. Yeah, yeah. The flights out there. The only thing back on Sundays are red eye. So people that don't want to take the Sunday, they're going to be missing work, and kids are going to be missing school. Mm-hmm. So I doubt we're going to use use that as one of our showcase events, especially when we can go to the one in Tampa. There's one in Nashville, and then the PDA event this Memorial Day. Those are much easier for us and. The college coaches that attend the the events more in the East Coast, we have very few, if any. I think the farthest west, we have one player at Michigan and one at Ohio State. That's probably as far west as we our kids are looking or going. Right. So your kids so, are staying more east eastern United States, New England yeah, area. Yeah. I would think from 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 Virginia up to New Hampshire. And then uh, you go out to Pennsylvania and, and Pennsylvania's when you go into Pittsburghish area, you're going pretty far out there. And then kids will go to Virginia, North Carolina, a couple of kids will go down to Florida, but we're more of an East coast recruit, I would think. So going out to Arizona, it's a, it's an expense for the college coaches as well, 
So you're getting more of the West Coast schools at the Arizona. And it's just, it, it didn't make the most sense for us. So we picked the more of the East Coast events that, that have been more in our wheelhouse. Kind of a segue here from from the, the college talk. Your older players, your your class of 23s and some of your class of 24s, have you guys seen a lot of, a lot of those kids already committed? Do you have more kids that are still trying to, to figure out their landing spots? Or how's that whole, that whole thing shaping yeah, up for I you? Think, I think the 24 class we have, Probably half to three quarters of our ECNL team are done. A couple of the regional kids are gone. But with the the COVID extra year that colleges were given, it's it's been really difficult on the rec- for the high school kids getting recruited. So rosters are are large. There's not as much opportunity with teams able to keep their seniors that are proven. It's it's been a lot more difficult the past couple of years placing the kids. But I think we've done a, a very good job with our 23s and a majority of the 24 ECL kids have committed. So we're, we're doing a good job. Memorial, between now and Memorial Day will be huge for the 24s. Yeah, I would think that in that Memorial Day showcase you guys are going to, that'll be a big one, right? I think for that, yeah, for that crew, yeah. Yeah, PDA will be huge at that time. Yeah. Is that one that you kind of always circle on the calendar, that Memorial Day one? That seems like I, I was at the uh, the boys' ECNL one last year, Memorial Day down, yep. down in actually in Richmond. And I, I recall that being a major one for a lot of those kids huge. who are a year out. Yeah. Yep. It, it's it's huge. And the location for us is is perfect. And and you do get a lot of the, 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 the Power 5 schools are going to be there. And you're also going to get the Northeast schools because it's such an easy, it's no flight for, for pretty much everybody in New England to go there. And, and then you're able to get from Richmond up. It's a great location. It's a great event. The fields are great. The competition's great. And that seems to be the best one because it's the end of the 24 recruiting season and then the beginning of for the 25s because in the middle of June, they'll start to be able to be contacted. Right. And now in your in your role as Iona's women's head soccer coach, how much has you've been there since what eighteen? Did you got hired yep. there? Yep, two thousand eighteen. Yep. So it's been five years, I guess now. Um, mm-hmm. How much recruiting do you do within New England? How much is that a staple? Oh, of, yeah, I was gonna say because you, I mean, you're in New York, but you're close. Yep. I mean, you're, you're and right. obviously you obviously have New England ties. So I was gonna say, so you you do that's a a big bread and butter area for you, right? It's huge, and and, and that's where you you go where you're comfortable, and we're we're a small private school right in New Rochelle, right outside of New York City, close enough to to Connecticut. I'm, I'm, I'm trying my hardest to get some Massachusetts kids. And, and I think the conference with Quinnipiac and Fairfield, we're, we're able to, we, we play close to home and, and, and parents want to watch their kids. So I want to be, I want to be able to recruit kids that I'm familiar with. And, and just in our, between the two Northeast ECNL branches and then the, the Girls Academy stuff, there's plenty of quality teams here and within, I bet you a majority of our kids are within three hours of home. Right. So we've got a couple, we've got a couple of kids from California, a couple of kids from Texas, but that's, that's few and far between. It's, it's really, we, I got a girl from Virginia coming in this year, a girl from Louisiana, but those are, you go to some of these events in, in different parts of the country and you can find the diamond in the rough, but we're, I'm very familiar with the the Northeast kids and, and, uh, and what they bring to the table. And it's hard. It's, it's tricky when you're not a fully funded program, not even close to it. And you're battling these programs that, that 
have a plethora of money and, and, and resources and, and we do the best we can. So I, I think that we're getting better each year. The three years before I got here, I think they had won six games. Our first year, we won eight. Then we got to 11. Last year, we felt like it was a down season. We won eight games and, and I was the third most wins in the school in one season. So we're, we're starting to build a whole new culture. The work ethic's been great. The, the talent that we're bringing in, and I'm just excited. We, we've got some really good kids coming in this year. What's, uh, what's kind of the, as you as a recruiter, what, what do you, what's kind of the pecking order of what you're looking for in a player? How would you kind of rank with the, the top assets I, you're I looking for? I think athleticism really is what separates the, the different levels of Division One because you, you can look at the upper echelon and teams that can compete for a national championship, and that's just they're getting the cream of the crop. And then I think as you go down, you're, you're trying to find kids that fit into your system. You want to make sure you have big center backs that are athletic, can win balls in the air. You want to make sure you're, you've got left-sided players that are left-footed. It's really difficult to have your left back be right-footed. And so you try to find, for us, the best available for each position, make sure we're filling all the positions with players that are going to fit into how we want to play. But I think athleticism is the, the number one key for where we're trying to go. Next year, we're playing. We open up with Providence. We're going out to Purdue. We're going down to Texas. We're playing Wake Forest. We're wow. playing UPenn. So for a low to mid-major that we are, the young women want to play the best competition. And and why would you want to come here and just play the same simple schools? We're going to see what where we are. We'll find our deficiencies and hopefully we'll be ready for the league play. But I think that's it. Once I gave the girls a schedule, they were very excited and, and, and they can't wait to go play these teams. I know you crunch for time and I, I definitely appreciate you giving us this time, but I have one last question for you. I, sure. it's, I always marvel. I mean, you're a busy guy. You got your head coach of a women's soccer team running a club. What's the spring like for you? Cause I imagine I own it. You guys must have some spring games scheduled. I, I imagine too. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's going to be a wild, I mean, everyone thinks kind of the fall ends, maybe things quiet down a bit, not for you. <laughs> so what's, no, no, what's spring, it, what's it, spring it, like? It's tricky. I, I live in Wallingford, Connecticut, that's 75 miles from my owner. So a typical day is, is, is bringing my son to school in the morning, getting on the Merritt Parkway and driving 75 miles uh, in rush hour traffic to get to Iona, have practice here and practice here. And then Monday and Wednesday, I've got one of my teams. Tuesday and Thursday, I have another team practice. So you get home at 8.15, 8.30, grab a bite to eat, watch a little TV with my son, my wife. And then same thing all over again. Friday's my Friday's my day off from from coaching, and and that's when we play our spring games, our five spring games around Fridays here at Iona. And then the weekends, you're you're either out recruiting or you've got your own club games. So it's it's busy, but it's enjoyable. I what, love every second of it. What are you listening to in these long car rides? Hopefully, hopefully our podcast. <laughs> you're listening to different po- exactly. Yeah. You're, you're you're listening to podcasts. You're listening to the 80s on eight right so, to, uh, and then once the weather gets nice it, it, it's not a bad ride to get a lot of your phone calls out sure. of the way and i drive in halfway half of the ride with my assistant coach so whichever one of us isn't driving we get a lot of the emails out of the way and, and it's it, it is what it is it's a it's a it's a great place to coach it's it's enjoyable every day i enjoy coming down here and and just building the program, and then at the same time trying to get our club and into competing with the big dogs. And, and I think we we've, we've started to get there. And, and with our our division in the ECNL is just it's unbelievable. Right, it, it, 
only three teams make the the Champions League, and you have four, five teams competing every single week. It came down to goal difference with my U14s last year. Literally by one goal, four, we advanced to the Champions League. So it's every single game is a battle, and you can't afford and And the teams that are in the lower end of the conference standings are still competitive games. And if they were in different conferences, would they would be competing for for Champions League there? Right. It's yeah, and, and like we said, it's cranking up now. It's spring season. Club season is about to get a lot a lot crazier for you and all the rest of the clubs throughout New England. And we really appreciate you taking some time. We know we know you're a little crunched and you're a busy guy. But thanks a lot for the time, Todd. Thanks for having me. It was great. Absolutely. All right, we're going to try something new today, and hopefully this catches on and becomes a staple of the Goal podcast, but it's now time for Extra Time, where our producer, David Yaz, gives me three mystery questions about the game of soccer, and I do my best to answer those mystery questions. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to Extra Time. So, Dave, fire away. Let's see how this goes. All right. Now, by the way, this segment, if it's a massive success, it was my idea. If not, it was yours, Matt. <laughs> Man, I was going to take credit. All right. All okay. Right. We'll let it roll. Question number one. Who was the first soccer player you remember rooting for? Baggio for Italy in the 90s. I okay. mean, everyone remembers him for famously kicking his penalty kick over the crossbar in the 1994 World Cup mm-hmm. championship against Brazil in the United States. But my dad is Italian. My, my dad's side of the family is Italian. We kind of grew up when I started watching the World Cup. 1990 was really the first World Cup I remember when I was, I mean, I was only eight years old. But Italy was my team, and it pains me to say they haven't qualified for the last yeah, <laughs> for a while. Yeah, so that that's painful to say, but Baggio was my guy. He was just a, a goal creator, playmaker on the team that I grew up watching internationally. And obviously back in the in the 90s, the MLS hadn't really taken off quite yet in the early 90s. So um, we were kind of looking to those World Cup games. That was kind of the, the, the taste of soccer that, that we got in the United States was when the World Cup was on. Because obviously we didn't have access to the Premier League and right. and. and in, in the leagues that we have now with, with all the channels we have. So that was that was the player I really remember watching and rooting for. The, the other one was Tony Miola, the goalkeeper for the United States. Oh, I remember sure. him too. And obviously, um, he actually, I believe he ended up having a tryout for the New York Jets too. After his, his name took off in soccer, they brought him in for a tryout to be a place kicker. Really? And he was, yeah, he was a big name oh, for sure. a while and he was a, he was a goalkeeper. He had the mullet. He was kind of just a, a guy that you can embrace uh, with U.S. soccer. He had... Other than the mullet, he had dashing good looks, and if if memory serves, he he tried acting as well. That sounds was, about right. Yeah, yeah, he did like dinner theater, like Tony and Tina's wedding, I want to say. <laughs> but yeah, I liked him too. He had he had some panache. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you knew the Ted Lasso question was coming, Matt, yeah. at some point. So let's get it out of the way. Other than Ted in that program, who is your favorite character? <sighs> That's a great question. And. I'm, it's sad that this is the final season, too. I mean, I, I, I know, right? I, I'm yeah. going to be sad to see it go. But you know what? I think that the timing is right. I will say it may not be a popular choice, but I like Jamie Tart actually. Oh, yeah. Because he plays the role of the charismatic, selfish superstar who's not quite as good as he thinks he is in his right. own mind and is constantly getting humbled. But I think it, it, the acting is great. I think the the... Uh, the actor who plays the role, I don't even know what his name is in real life, the, who plays Jamie Tart, but I love the Jamie Tart character because it's so 
it's so perfect for like modern day sports and professional sports and the young hotshot who comes in who thinks he's the greatest player of all time and and he is supremely talented but he just he doesn't fit into the team concept and Ted has to rein him back in and coach him to be a member of the team and he, he embraces it and he he changes his personality a bit but at the end of the day, he still has that ego, and it still pops out, and he's still mm. got the, the look about him that, that shows that he has that ego. I just love his character. Yeah, gr- great one. The The actor's name is Phil Dunster. I didn't know that. Would I would have never to, got I, that. I, well, I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, so, But that's one of the great things about this age of prestige TV is you can allow character you can take your time and allow characters to grow and if you had just seen that the first episode i believe he was featured in the first episode you would have thought just what you said oh he's the the stuck up guy pampered shows his money off and he's the guy who's got a cool car and everything and and but he's really kind of a jerk and then you do start start to see that he does have a softer side and he does have a little bit of integrity to him yeah. and you, and you and you start to you start to actually root for him i think i think a lot of people i mean roy is like a great character too i mean yeah. i think a lot of people would go with roy and he's fantastic and but i yeah the, like you said this this the when when jamie tart kind of does that change and starts showing that integrity as a character i think it's it's Ted Lasso just has that great wholesome feel to it. I mean, it can it it can get a little edgy, but it just has that feel good element to it, and he mm-hmm. he kind of personifies that. Is is Ted Lasso a show about soccer, or is it a show that just happens to take place among a soccer team? That's a great question yeah. as well, man. That's that's a heck of a mystery question added in. It appeals to so many. I'm people. allowed to do follow up questions. <laughs> They're not included in the three. <laughs> it's your segment. You're allowed yeah. to do whatever you want. Right. I, I think the fact that it appeals to so many people mm-hmm. and, and people who don't even probably care much about soccer or care much about the sport probably lends itself to the idea that it's a show more about people than it is about mm-hmm. the sport. But it, it's still, I mean, it still teaches about the sport though. It te- still teaches about relegation and it teaches right. about the, the, what soccer means to a community in, in England and even Richmond in the show is a, is not a high level Right, professional soccer club there, but but the the fan base is rabid. The people rally around it. All they want to see is they go to the pub and they watch the match together. Everybody in the community, right. and it, it just and, and it's a little bit kind of like Welcome to Wrexham is obviously different because it's it's real. It's a documentary, yeah. but it just goes to show you like what the passion is like for the sport somewhere else. Well, I, I'm much more of a casual soccer fan than you, but I was hoping you would bring up Welcome to Wrexham because when I saw Welcome to Wrexham after Ted Lasso. I thought this is like a real life Ted Lasso, which which, which w- the whole spirit of the the team, the the ups and downs, and the fact that the the town rallies around the the, the team, maybe unlike any other sport. I, I I don't know. I mean, we're here in Boston, and, and right. Red Sox, Bruins, and Patriots fans, and Celtics fans would differ, but but nevertheless, live and die by it, which to me means. Ted, Ted is, is seems to be pretty accurate. It seems to capture what people love about soccer. It does, and I think I think Wrexham has actually made more people soccer fans because mm-hmm. I know I know some some friends of mine who kind of fair weather soccer fans. World mm-hmm. Cup rolls around, they'll watch. But Wrexham started being televised on, yeah. on the on the ESPN on the ESPN platform after the the documentary came out, and people are watching those matches nine a.m. on a Saturday. They'll watch. They're banging out the stadium. I mean, that would have happened anyways, but like. It's just a great atmosphere to watch, and I think it's translated well to TV. And and because of the 
star power with Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney. I think yeah. it's people can can relate to a little bit if you know, you like those their movies and their TV shows. But it, I think it's made people soccer fans for sure. In in the same way that McElhenney and Reynolds were not the hugest fans before, right. they were just sort of intrigued by the idea the idea of it. But you see them get swept up in it. You right. see them. Th- th- there are no bigger soccer fans. Well, they're true soccer fans. Totally. Say that. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Question number three, Matt. And this is one of the great mysteries of the sport. <laughs> when a soccer player scores a goal, why does he or she run away from his or her teammates rather than running toward them? <laughs> That is a tremendous question because you would think you'd want to celebrate with the team. But I think it's like it's the Jamie Tart thing. I mean, I think when you <laughs> score a goal, you scored that goal. And I think it's it's I don't it's not selfish because, I mean, scoring goals is hard to do in soccer. It doesn't happen often. So if you score one, you want to celebrate and you kind of want it be known. Let it be known that it was you who scored that goal and mm-hmm. running over the corner by yourself lets it be known to everybody in the, in the, in the stadium that it was you who scored that goal, even though everyone probably knew it. Uh, right. But it, it's, I think it's just the nature of the sport. Like in the NBA or, or basketball, if LeBron or Kevin Durant, they're going to score 30 a night, so they're not going to go running off into the corner every time they get a bucket. I mean, it's mm. just it, they're, they're scoring baskets at will, basically. But in Although soccer. Le- LeBron, in winning a shot, will do something very soccer. Yeah. Like he'll jump up on the right. scorer's table. Throw chalk up in the chalk air. In the yeah. air. Yeah. He'll do that, but in in soccer, I mean, in a given match, you might only have one goal, and if you're the you're the player who scored that goal, it, I mean, it is and it is a a thrill to mm-hmm. find the back of the net in a soccer in a soccer game at any level. I mean, that's kind of why you fall in love with the sport to begin with, scoring goals. That's why I loved it when I was a kid. That's why I wanted to play to score goals, mm-hmm. and it's just something that that stays with you. And I think that's what it is. I think it's. I mean, soccer is the ultimate team game. It really is. I mean, you have 11 players out there, and they're all playing a role in a victory, a huge role. Mm. But it's when that little ego moment checks in, and you, you score that goal, and you're like, okay, that was, that was my goal. I'm going to let it be known. Yeah, it's, it's, it, maybe you've just answered it, and that is that it, it's kind of the only moment because a, a football running back will celebrate a first down run. I mean, some of them celebrate three and a half yard runs for some reason, <laughs> and and a defensive player celebrates it. A basketball player can celebrate a three pointer, but in soccer, it it kind of really is only the goal, right? They're, yeah. they're not, not high fiving after they make a good defensive play. right. And in football too, that's a great point because. Yeah. If a running back plunges in from two yards out, I mean, he pretty much just fell forward. Yeah. I mean, that's how you get his, 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 the big bodies in front on the offensive line gave him a hole and he just fell down forward for a one yard. And that, like, and they know it. And, and that, and to a running back's credit, most running backs' credit, they know the offensive line. A lot of them will yep. give the ball to the offensive lineman to sure. spike it. Yeah. And soccer, it's like, you, that ball came off your foot. I mean, there are those times where it's like an accidental goal, or not an accidental goal, but yep. it, well, you didn't, it wasn't that great. Somebody, it's a tap in or whatnot, but still, it's just that thrill of hitting the back of the net. It, it takes, takes over the body, I think. I, I agree with you that it's not selfish. It doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't feel selfish. It almost feels like I'm going to enjoy the glory of this. And I get to maybe extend it a couple seconds later if I can run away from you guys <laughs> until you catch up to me. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Where do you stand on? Now, I, I know I've seen in the past, I don't know if it's Olympic play, probably not Olympic play. There is some team that's known for its wacky celebrations in soccer. And I, I've seen this. They will simulate like riding in a canoe together right. or, or something. Or like bowling pins. They'll be yeah, Right. Yeah. 
Is that does that ever happen in in regular match play or not, not that really? I see? Not yeah, that okay. I see. I think the phenomenon of sprinting into the corner, the goal score is is just consumed it's everything. Timeless. Yeah, we haven't seen. It'd actually, kind of be funny. I mean, I would I wouldn't mind seeing a whole team wide celebration that's choreographed, but you, you don't really see it. I mean, I think it's just yep. it's it's kind of a copycat thing too. Like you know. Young players. I mean, I see it. My 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 sons are only seven and eleven, but they. I mean, in the, even in their games, when kids score goals, they go running off. Like right. I mean, they're just copying what they see, and it just as long as player professional players are celebrating like that, I think the youth players will celebrate like that. That and they've all got the dive on their knees and slide forward move. Down. I love that. I, yeah. yeah, they they probably practice that. I tried that once at a wedding. And I ruined <laughs> the pants. Don't don't so don't do that. Well, very good thoughts as usual, Matt. You you have. Let me do that again because this is the first time. Three, two. Well, first time out on Extra Time, and Matt, we're going to give you the win. Not even a tie. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's not, there's no deadlock here. There, we didn't have to go to the shootout. Congratulations, <laughs> my friend. Uh, I think this one's here to stay. I like this segment. If you have a question for Extra Time, really anything about the sport of soccer that you'd like to ask Matt, email producer Dave at david.yas at siemensmedia.com. That's david.yas at s-e-a-m-a-n-s media.com. Thanks again to Todd Plord for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.